Thank you for tuning in. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Hello, and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee that we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. I'm joined in the studio today by a guest co-host, Judge Christopher Sockwell. Judge Sockwell is a circuit court judge for Tennessee's 22nd District, appointed to that position by Governor Bill Haslam in 2018. A graduate of David Lipscomb University and the University of Tennessee College of Law, Judge Sockwell was previously an attorney in private practice before being appointed to the bench to represent a circuit comprised of four Tennessee counties. Judge Sockwell is a keen student of history and a welcomed addition to History's Hook. Judge Sockwell, good morning to you. Good morning, Tom. Together, the judge and I are honored to have joining us in the studio Mr. Dave Hathcock. Born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Hathcock played collegiate football for the University of Memphis before he was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in 1966. At the end of his rookie season, he found himself in Super Bowl I, playing alongside a dozen future NFL Hall of Famers, including legendary coach Vince Lombardi. He's here today to tell us his story. Dave Hathcock, welcome to History's Hook. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Before we get into the details of your very fascinating life, I have a, the hardest question I'll ask of the day. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest NFL player of all time? You know, you ask a very difficult question. <laughs> there are so many, but I think some of my teammates were some of the best that, that's ever played the game, starting with Bart Starr, Jimmy Taylor, Ray Nitschke. You could go on throughout that whole team and list a whole bunch of guys that are just as good as they are today. L- looking at your life, preparing uh, for this show, uh you, you, if you're looking at a professional football career and had to choose a team to be on in your rookie year, I can't think of a better spot to find yourself. It was a great, great team. When I got drafted, I didn't know anything about the draft or anything. When I got drafted, my brother says, well, that's a really good team. <laughs> and the, the next month, this draft was in November, and the next month they won the, the first of three in a row NFL championships. And uh, I didn't realize how good they were going to be because I, I had watched a little bit of television, but I was more into Johnny Unitas and the Baltimore Coats and, and people like that. And, uh, but when I got drafted by the Packers, I found out more about them. And I didn't know where the, the location of the Packers were. So I learned about the Packers and where they, where they were. It's a very small little town, about 65,000 people. But it, on Sunday, when the Packers come, it sounds like it sounds like about a million. <laughs> but it's 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 been a a unique adventure in my life, just to be part of that organization and part of that that team. Absolutely, what a story! So you were raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. What did your What did your parents do for a living? My dad was a welder. He was a very skilled welder, and I didn't realize how good he was until later on when I started having people weld for me, you know, different projects. And my mother was uh, an artist. Really? She was a very skilled artist and did a very 
she did some beautiful things in her artwork, but she was very organized. And uh, so dad did the welding and mom did the painting and we had a, we had a good life. But, um, you know, it's interesting how things change in your life. And uh, dad was commissioned by the uh, army to teach the Thai army how to weld in Vietnam. Really? And so he went over there for three months and taught in 1960 to teach the Thai army how to weld. And uh, then he came back and uh, my dad was very, when he was young, he was a very um, angry man. But then he started, he worked with the, the Masons, started working with the Masons, and he became a much more gentle man. But as a father, he could not have been a better father. Hmm. And my mother could not have been a better mother. <laughs> so when those, when you have those two combinations together, it makes a, a good episode of life. Were they from Memphis as well? They, they were both from Memphis, too. And uh, we had a good good time, you know, being raised in Memphis and going to school and Sharing every every day, we had meal time at five thirty <laughs> together. So it was a, it was a good life, and and uh, I was very fortunate to have my parents for me. What were your pastimes as a kid growing up in Memphis? What Most of the time, we just you just played around the neighborhood. There was no sports or anything organized sports, so you just played around the neighborhood with the kids that you could play with, and we had a good time just doing that and. Um, different kinds of games that you did. There was no air condition. <laughs> so you had to stay outside and enjoy your life outside. And, uh, we, we enjoyed that and just, but as I think about now doing that, learning about relationships with neighborhood kids and things that was amazing. And I learned how to cope with those kinds of situations later on in my life. Who or what were some of the biggest influences on your life growing up in West Tennessee? Well, basically, I think it was my parents first. Then I had two brothers. I had uh, my one brother was two years younger than I am. The other brother was nine, nine years younger than I am. And he died at a very early age. Um, he was only 62 when he died. So those two brothers were very influential in me. And... Um, my my brother, I didn't talk very much, and I wondered why later on. I didn't have to talk because my mother and my brother did all the talking. So um, we were newspaper people in Memphis. I had to throw the newspapers. I threw the morning paper, and I did the afternoon paper. So when I did the morning paper, they had a, a contest of uh, if you had 20 new subscriptions, you got a free trip to New Orleans. So... I had three subscriptions, new subscriptions. My brother had 23. Wow. <laughs> so I got the trip to New Orleans, and I told I was much smarter than my brother. <laughs> but um, later on, I bought him, a, when I, after the Super Bowl, I bought him a brand-new car. Wow. So he was a great brother, and, and he still is. That's so great. Did you, you said you didn't play sports in school. I played in high school. I played. High school. I, I started out in the eighth grade. I played um um, well, after the seventh grade, I played baseball and, uh, I played on the, at the end of the year, I played on the all-star team and, uh, we were getting, I was getting ready to go up and bat and the coach, somebody in the stand says, who's winning? And my coach says, uh, the score is five to five, our favor. 
And so they walked me. I stole second. I stole third. And somebody hit me in. We won the game by one run. <laughs> I never forgot that positive coach and that comment of five to five, our favor. And so I played baseball that year. And then eighth grade, I played uh, football, uh, basketball, and, and uh, baseball. And uh, I was a starter as an eighth grader on the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade team. Okay. Then the, uh, I'll have to tell you a story about my World Series episodes. Uh, as an eighth grader, the day before the World Series, I sprained my ankle and I stayed home for two weeks and watched the World Series. My ninth grade year, um, the day before the World Series, I was a quarterback and I handed the ball off to the running back and he stepped on my foot. After the ball game, the the ankle had swelled twice its size. So I stayed home and watched the World Series. My sophomore year, the day before the World Series, I told my mother, I said, Mom, I'll probably break my leg tomorrow because World <laughs> Series started. I did. I broke my ankle. No. And uh, I stayed home and watched the World Series. But my, ma- my mother says, you can't stay home. You're going to have to go to school. And the teachers felt really sorry for me. So they let me stay in the gym and watch the World Series for two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> After that, I said, no more World Series. I want to uh, play instead of just getting hurt all the time. So as a junior, I was a starter and uh, – Offense and defense, and so my junior and senior year, but we only won two games each year of the, my junior and senior year. And then all of a sudden, I had a coach that came up, and he said uh, – he was a football coach, and he says, how would you like to run track? I said, I said, yeah, I like that. I like running, you know, doing things like that. So I started running track. And then I did – in my junior year, I did just a – you know, all the most of the field events and a few running events and things. And then my senior year, after football season, the track, the football coach says, how would you like to uh, run the high hurdles? I said, how far is that? He said, it's, it's only 120 yards. And I said, okay. So I just got down in the starting blocks and ran the hurdles. I said, how did I do? He said, you did all right. You did all right. A few minutes later, he said, this is six weeks before the state championship. He said, how would you like to run the low hurdles? I said, how far is that? He said, it's 180 yards. I said, I don't know, Coach, if I have to do these other events, I don't know if I could do that. But I sat there and watched the guy run the low hurdles. So I went back to the coach and I said, Coach, if I don't know if I can beat him over the hurdles, but I can sure beat him in between the hurdles. <laughs> I'd like to run those next week. And um, so after – Six weeks, I won the state in the high hurdles, and I fell down in the low hurdles, and I was about 10 yards ahead. And I, would, I had about a, a second faster time than the guy that won the low hurdles, but I was dis, disqualified because I, I didn't qualify for the finals. So that you're, was it. You're a natural athlete, obviously. I don't know about natural, but then the, uh, the week before the state track meet, the coach said, would you like to be in the decathlon? I said, what is that, Coach? He said, that's 10 events. I said, uh, yeah, I, I do that pretty much in a regular track meet. And he said, well, we'll put you in a decathlon. So I went to the state decathlon we had at Austin P. We had um, 130 athletes. And 
I came out the winter of the state decathlon in 1966 and uh, set a new state record in the long jump for that I, that would lasted about 30 years. Wow. So that was lucky. So Tennessee was the first person or school that ever contacted me for a scholarship. But I chose Memphis State. And now, as I think back on it now, I would have gone to Tennessee and uh, for various reasons. But at that time, I, I liked Memphis State. So I chose Memphis State. I was in eight events every track meet in college. And uh, I was the at- – Outstanding athlete in many athlete uh, track meets. Okay. So I finished my career in track. Then all of a sudden football came. I played football my fifth year in college, and I'm history now. What did, what did you study in college besides uh, sports? I started out as a physical education. Okay. And, um, or excuse me, architectural drawing. I was majoring in architecture because I wanted to build houses and things like that. Matter of fact, later on, I did design my own house and built my own house hmm. out in Old Hickory. And uh, so, but after the summer months, I started working with the parks and recreation in Memphis. And I really enjoyed uh, coaching the softball teams and the track teams and the athletics and really enjoyed the kids. So then I changed my major to physical education and started so I could be a teacher and a coach. And then the, um, um, I changed my minor to architectural drawing. Okay. But that's what I always taught was drafting in school when I taught school. Okay. I taught we, – we played uh, the Super Bowl game, and uh, we made $15,000 in the Super Bowl. And then two weeks later, I was in the classroom teaching, drafting, and making $400 a month. <laughs> so a teacher was making $4,000 for the year at that time. Teachers didn't make a lot of money, but you had to do it for you enjoyed it. Right. It's a you, calling. Yeah, it it's really is. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the University of Memphis or Memphis State uh, University and uh, their football program. What kind of were they known as a football school? Well, we we had a we had a good football team at, at times and uh, they must not have had a really good football team because they let me play on their team. <laughs> but. When I went, I went to the. Uh, I needed I needed another year of school, so I went to the football coach and I said, "Coach, I'd like a, a play football." And I I said, "Would you give me a scholarship?" He said, "Yes." And I said, "Thank you." And I walked out. That conversation was only one and a half to two minutes in length. It, that's all it took. That's all it took. You asked for a scholarship and you got it. Yeah. So he knew you from your from track. track. Okay. From my track, and uh, so he knew that. And when I started playing, uh, I didn't know. The first day, I, I hit a dummy, and it, we weren't even in pads. I just hit a dummy. <clears throat> and the first day, I hit the dummy, and I, I tore my cartilage loose from my sternum. Good night. It, it hurt so bad. It's the most painful injury I've ever had. <clears throat> and so I was in pain, and I was out – off, you know, injured for several days, and they, they put me on offense. I played about 10 plays against Ole Miss, and they didn't throw the ball to me. Then we played Mississippi uh, Southern the next week, and they put me in the last couple of minutes of the game, and they threw the ball to me, and it was underthrown. And I went back, and I just absolutely killed that defensive back and got a, a loss of down and a 15-yard penalty. <laughs> 
And the next week I'm walking out to the practice and coach, DB coach says, um, how would you like to play defense? I said, coach, I'll do anything to get off the bench. He said, you're a monster man now. So I started as a monster man. Well, I, I knew I was going to start whenever they let me in the game. And um, so we um, have, the, have the big game coming up after the fourth game. We still haven't won a game. I've got into the game about just before the first quarter was over with, and I played the rest of the game and uh, against Tulsa. And then uh, all of a sudden the next, next game is going to be against Mississippi State. They're ranked number nine in the country. Memphis State had not won a game. And then all of a sudden we go out there. I'm going to be playing out there against this team. I had sat there for four, hour, four years and listened to the bells being ringing in the stands and everything. I was scared to death. We go out there, and everything the team did was right. Hmm. We beat Mississippi State that day, thirty-three to thirteen. Wow! So it, we were—it was—it was a totally different feeling. Sure. And we won five games in a row, and then we lost the last two games, and we played the Quantico Marines. And I came home from Memphis uh, at the end of November. I came home, and um, all of a sudden, got a telephone call. And uh, said the Green Bay Packers. I was supposed to call the Green Bay Packers. I said, somebody's playing a joke on me. I said, well, some of my teammates are playing a joke on me. And uh, so I finally got a hold of them the next day. And I found out I'd been drafted. So I went to the coaches. And I said, they told me I was drafted. They said, yeah, we already know you were drafted. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked them what kind of money I should ask for. And, what kind of, and I didn't know about bonus or anything. You didn't have an agent. No, I didn't have an agent. So uh, I called the Packers, and I said, when can you have somebody up here to talk to me or down here to talk to me? And um, they said tomorrow. So the next night I went out and sat there for six hours, negotiated my salary and negotiated my bonus and signed that night. You did the negotiating? Yeah. Unbelievable. I did I did better than some the coaches did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a step back for just a second and, and go back to your college years for a second. So you're you're a standout player from that. Give me your stats. How tall were you? How much did you weigh? I was about in in college. I had to keep my weight down when I was running track down to 170. But normally I was about 200. So when I played football, I was at 200. When I played with the pros, I was at 200. How tall? Uh, about about five eleven six feet. Okay, and I've gone up and I've gone down, but vertebrae have shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your workout regimen like? Were you working out all the time? Or well, you, or just stepping on the field and doing what you do? You mean when uh, playing football? Yes. Now, when I when I ran track, I I played I ran a lot extra compared to what the normal track people did because I was I was in so much. Uh, so many events, I had to. But when I played football, I was there whenever they practiced, I, I practiced with okay. them. Okay. And uh, you didn't you, work out at home. You didn't do a lot of extra stuff. I, I'm thinking well, from the mindset of today, right? <laughs> Professional athletes are specimens, right? They're, they have serious workout regimens. They're, they're doing their workouts from home beyond what they're doing with regular practices. They're, they're having to put the work in. Were you having to do the same thing? Not in the sense that you think. Okay. Uh, we only had 95 pounds of weight. Really? So that's all we had. And uh, so that's all I ever used. 
And it wasn't until I was in uh, Florida, I was teaching in St. Augustine, and I had a, a sophomore said, well, Coach, I'll, I'll challenge you to a weight contest. I said, he says, how much can you lift? I said, I don't know. I said, I'll just lift a little bit more than you do. And so that day he did 195 pounds, and I did 200. <laughs> and then the next day he, he did 200, I did 205. And he never came back and challenged me again. <laughs> but I, I did all the weights later on. You know, I could do all the weight. But I was never in, in um, strengthening the body as far as weightlifting. My track coach didn't believe in, in uh, weightlifting, but he believed in, in pushing your body, okay. uh, exercising your body, doing push-ups and sit-ups and doing those stall bar and stuff like that, but not, not weights. So I never got into the weight program at all. Okay. But now when I get older, I'm in the gym right now lifting a few weights. I do 10 pounds. <laughs> Good for you. How old are you? I'm if you don't mind my 79. 79 years old. I'm 79 and still growing. That's amazing. <laughs> we need to take a break. Uh, okay. We are speaking with Dave Hathcock, who is a professional football player with the Green Bay Packers. He played in Super Bowl number 1. We're going to hear more about it. You're listening to History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, will be right back after this brief commercial break. Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can always count on us for a great selection of late model, low mileage, one owner vehicles. All have been thoroughly inspected and are ready to go. You can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool. Looking to sell your vehicle? Great news! We're paying top dollar for your trade. All makes, all models, and in any condition. Trade in and trade up today. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can count on us. Hello, this is Rick Tillis with Tillis Jewelry in Columbia and Lewisburg, Tennessee. What are you looking for in a jeweler? Knowledgeable staff? Experienced goldsmiths? Or true custom designers? Experienced working with clients creating that perfect gift for a special loved one? Well, you have found them. Tillis Jewelry. We're this and so much more. Check us out at TillisJewelry.com or on Facebook and Instagram to see our latest creations. Tillis Jewelry, Columbia and Lewisburg, Tennessee. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. This is Dr. Dominic Mancini from the Dr. Gill Center. Have you been injured in a car accident? Are you still in pain? Untreated whiplash injuries to the spine may lead to future conditions, such as neck pain, low back pain, and headaches. The doctors at the Dr. Gill Center specialize in detecting and treating these conditions before they get worse. Our accident consultations are free. Call me painfree.com or call 615-551-9224.
History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today I have joining me in the studio, Mr. Dave Hathcock, who uh, is a Memphis native and went on to play professional football with the Green Bay Packers in Super Bowl I, then on to the New York Giants before becoming a real hero and becoming a teacher for many years after that. Mr. Hathcock, welcome back to History's Hook. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about your collegiate career. You were a standout athlete on the track. Uh, and then sort of transitioned into football, asking for a scholarship, and just like that, getting it. Uh, college football, I think, today, you, you mentioned stepping out into the field in Memphis and uh, how, how it was a, a, a bigger experience for you, probably the biggest experience in sports up to that time. College sports today is a whole different animal, right? I read an article just this week, J.T. Stroud, quarterback, sophomore quarterback for Ohio State, in his collegiate career, uh, drives a $200,000 Mercedes SUV. He has an endorsement contract worth $1.2 million in his college career as a sophomore. N- not the case when you were in college. How, how do you feel about the changes that have taken place? I guess I was just a very simple man. When I, when I was growing up, when I finally started, when I first time I played football with Memphis State, it was, it was a tremendous experience because – it absolutely amazed me. The first game we were going to play in the Liberty Bowl, it's the first time that anybody had ever played in the Liberty Bowl. And I'm going to play in the Liberty Bowl, the beautiful stadium. And a big bus come, comes to the stadium, I mean to the campus, picks all the football players up. And I had never had a bus and a police escort to the stadium anywhere in track. That was totally, you know, out of the question. But – the whole scenario of of how they treated you as as opposed to running track and running playing football was totally different <laughs> and I really enjoyed that that new experience so when I went to uh the liberty bowl that was that was quite an experience and and enjoyed you know just being part of that that building just the building and the stadium and everything that was that was amazing and um then later on, I bid, I was I have been in many many stadiums later on, much bigger than the Liberty Bowl. Sure. <laughs> so, and we had police escorts, and it, it, I still feel humble when those occasions occur. So it's really quite quite interesting to see how people treat you when you have certain uh, t- titles. Uh, Mr. Hathcock, it, back in the '60s, college football players weren't nearly as big as they were now, but yet you were playing in the secondary as a 200-pounder, and you mentioned you were a monster man, which I'm sure that's like a strong safety uh, today, isn't that right? So uh, your combination of speed and size was somewhat unique at that time, wasn't it? Well, I was was very big compared to a lot of the the professionals today. Yeah. Uh, They're very very light. most of the guys at the Packers were 200 or 205 as a defensive back. And uh, now you get guys that in the defensive backs were 175, 180, but they don't do what we did when we were playing. For instance, we, we had to do what we call forcing. When they started having the runs going around in, we came up and made the tackles behind the line of scrimmage. I don't ever see that very often today. And um, so we were big, 
But we were fast. All the guys on the defensive side um, were very fast. They had a lot of quickness and, and speed. But what I was amazed at, most of the defensive backs, a lot of the defensive players that played on the Packers team didn't even play that position in college. Hmm. They were mostly offensive running backs. Uh, Herb Adley was the MVP at Michigan when he was playing Michigan. Uh, Bob Jeter was ran for 200 yards in a bowl game. Uh, you had Willie Wood was a quarterback at USC. So all these guys played different positions, and yet they all con- came together. Oh, and my other safety was he played professional baseball for a year and a half before he started playing with the Packers. Uh, so that was amazing to me. All these guys were playing different positions, and they all came to the Packers. But what was the most amazing thing is Lombardi saw their talent and put them in a position where they could be successful. That was amazing to me. That's a great coach. They can see that potential oh, absolutely. In, a, in a player. That, so you mentioned – so remind us, uh, our listeners again, you played college football for how long? I, I played one year. Just one year. But then uh, I only got to play about seven games. And in that time, scouts from probably various professional uh, teams are taking a look at you, and you you get an offer into the draft. Well, somebody said one day, said uh, Detroit might be looking at you. I said, I don't like Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> and But you do that, you know, conversations like that and, and – and, so you just you don't think about things like that actually happening because just playing such a short period of time you did, you never thought about that right and uh, I was just there to play football and get my scholarship and that was it. Did any other players on the Memphis team get offers? We had um, I think five or six people got um, drafted, but uh, I was the only one that really made the team. Okay, uh, other teams wherever they were. So you were a seventh round draft pick choice in 1966 258th overall uh, i don't have to change that that was 17 round round 17 17 okay and it's also i always add this i was the same round as bart Starr. is that right <laughs> <laughs> i like uh, that sound I, bart Starr. in a previous interview you did i think they mentioned you had, and you've alluded to this you'd never played on a winning team in either high school or college before I, you got drafted. you're right uh you're correct. I've never played on a winning team until I got to the Green Bay Packers. Who is one of the winningest teams in And football. one of the amazing things that people always ask me, said, do you think Lombardi made you? Did he, did he mold you into his philosophy of, of, of living and playing the game? I said, no. The amazing thing about Lombardi was he, he got like-minded people together. And when you get like-minded people together, it, be, it breeds success. Uh, because if you don't have the like-minded people, it's like in this group right here, if you don't have the like-minded people coordinating everything together, there's not any success. Hmm. Um, and I will, t- I will tell you about uh, Willie Wood. He was an all-pro Hall of Famer, and one day he came to me. He says, Dave, I'm going to teach you everything I know. It's just too bad you'll never get a chance to use it. I started laughing. I said, Wood, what are you talking about? He said, Dave, I'm smart. He says, you're bigger than I am, you're faster than I am, and you hit as hard or harder than I do. If I ever give you a chance, I'll never get my job back. Hmm. But everybody on that Packer team were willing to teach you. And what was amazing to me was 
everybody on the off, the defensive team was willing to teach you. They, they knew that it, if something happened to them, they wanted the team to do well. And what was amazing, too, was the offensive people. Jim Taylor, running back, he would make suggestions to me. All the receivers made suggestions to help you hmm. be better. And that was, that was a team effort. That was what Lombardi was all about, being a team. And when I went to New York, played with the Giants, it was Katie bar the door, you're on your own, baby. Is that right? There was no team concept. So it was totally different. Mr. Hancock, tell me the difference uh, between college football and pro football and that transition, making that transition from one to the other and how that was because they're so, they're so different too. But tell us about those differences. It's a mental difference. It's all mental. What happens is if you get you get into a game in high school and if you're going to have a running play, uh, you're a defensive guy, you have a running play, the ball, when the – and the ball, the running back runs about four or five yards before the defense ever moves. In the college, you only have about a yard and a half before the defensive moves. But in pros, they mirror everybody. And if you mirror, whenever that running back goes to the right, I go with him. When he moves, my foot moves. So that's it's the mental part of it more than anything. Uh, they have they have speed just like we do, but it's the mental part of the game that's more uh, important than anything. Uh, I see I see the games today they they don't play football like we did when we were playing. Uh, we played a really smart football game. In Lombardi, when I first went to Lombardi, in the first meeting we ever met, Lombardi gave us the offensive scheme and the defensive scheme in thirty minutes. And we practiced that every day for, for the rest of the year. He didn't change things. That was it. But it was so simple. Everybody, he said, if I could teach the dumbest guy on the team how to do this, everybody could do it. And, it, and I, I've coached over the years. I have never had another Lombardi hmm. in high school or, or college or anywhere. That was so simple. And I like simple simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> So you've spent really your whole life in Memphis. You head to Green Bay for the first time, first city that you're going to live in that's not going to be Memphis. Describe uh, that first trip into the locker room. Were you starstruck? Uh, what was it like? How did I, that feel? I, I I tell the same story all the time. I, I was amazed. <laughs> I walked into the locker room, and the first thing I saw was my, my name on the locker. I had never had my name on any locker in anywhere I've ever been. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks down the locker room, and he comes over, and he he's puts his hand out. He says, I'm Bart Starr. I said, I'm Dave Hathcock. He said, oh, you're the defensive back from Memphis State. Now, if you think that didn't impress me, he knew my name, the position, and the school I was at. That was impressive. But, you know, everybody on that team did that. It, it was just it was it just blow your way. So is that the culture that Lombardi's bringing? That he yeah. everybody's invested in everybody. That's exactly right. He's encouraging that. Yes. Or is that just uh, coming from from uh, who the who the players are? Do you think? No, it's it's everything started with Lombardi because his concept of what was important. Number one was your faith. Number two was your uh, 
religion. Oh, excuse me, your faith, and then your uh, family, and then your work was last. So he always said that in order, but he was always preaching that all the time. Hmm. And, but more, he just didn't preach, he lived it. He lived what he was preaching, and he treated players the same way that he was preaching. So that was, that was a big difference. So you don't have that all the time in, in all your coaches <laughs> or in life when you're just sure. meeting people. So it makes a big difference. Um, was there any traditional uh, practical joking or initiation rituals with the Green Bay Packers for a rookie like you coming in? Have you heard this story before? I have not. <laughs> well, the only, the only hazing that we ever did, all the rookies had to sing for their dinner. That's the only thing. Now, on the football field or in meetings or anything, there was never any hazing going on. And so I had to, I had to sing for my dinner, and Willie Wood always – Dave, Dave, you got to sing now. And I said, I had to sing. And I could not sing. When, I couldn't sing anything. And one day out on the football field, I was catching punts, which I never did in college, or kickoffs. And I was in, out there, and I – Tried to catch the first punt, and I dropped the ball. And Lombardi started screaming and yelling, get off the field, get off the field. And so I walked off the field, and I said, uh, I said, I think I'm going to quit. And so I sat there, and I was really getting mad. And um, then Phil Bankston said, uh, okay, Dave, you can get back out on the football field now. So I got out there and practiced and everything. And that night I, I had to sing, so I, I chose a, a Roger Miller tune, You Can't Roller Skate in the Buffalo Hurt. And I, I sang the last verse of the – and I changed the lyrics a little bit. I said, oh, you can't catch a punt with the boss on your back, but you got to knuckle down, buckle down, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> and I looked around. Lombardi was dying laughing. <laughs> and my teammates were always booing me and hissing me and everything. That night, they got up and gave me a standing ovation. <laughs> oh, man. That's and so great. Lombardi, I looked around. I looked at Bar- Lombardi, and he was laughing. I said, he had a sense of humor. <laughs> so and I made the team. <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, this is a great transition time in professional football. We had two different football leagues, unlike today where you have the National Football League and then two conferences within it. Uh, at this point in time, there's a real competition going on between two leagues, the National Football League and the American Football League. Uh, the National Football League had been around since 1919, I think. There had been some rival leagues that came and went during that time and just couldn't compete. But in 1960, the AFL, the American Football League, came into being and, unlike previous league iterations, prospered by recruiting well with an agreement that neither league would sign each other's players. It happened, though, in 1966 <laughs> with the NFL signing place, uh, AFL place kicker uh, Pete Gogolak, and a war ensued. Through negotiations, they're trying to calm things down. Through negotiations, the two leagues signed an agreement in June of 1966, which called for a common draft and an eventual league merger after the 1969 season and an AFL-NFL World Championship game, which we, of course, called the Super Bowl to decide which league had the best team. Um, Your first year playing with Green Bay, how many games uh, made up a season at that point in time? It was 14 games during that season. We... I think we played six exhibition games, and uh, I only got paid ten dollars for each exhibition game. Really, I got paid ten dollars a day for uh, exhibition season, so you didn't make a lot of money during that period of time. And um, 
it was it was a situation where it was totally different, but you had to do it to be able to be part of the uh, season later on. During the course of the year, the NFL came to us as the Packers. We were one of the leaders of the NFL. Said, would you be willing to play the, the champion of the AFL if you were the winner of the NFL? And we voted as a team we would. And then they said, well, how much money would you want? And so we voted as a team we would take $15,000 because we were the Packers were winning about uh, $10,000 for the NFL championship game. And uh, so all that materialized, and we represented the NFL, and Kansas City represented the AFL. Amazing. So and winners now, get 15000 The losing side got half that, 70, 75 Yeah, $7,500. Yeah. That's per person, right? Each player. Yeah. Yep. We were, we were going to play. We were getting ready for the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm walking out on the uh, field, and all of a sudden, Max McGee is – walking with me and he's just nonchalant said well I guess I'm going out to be a hero today I said Max you hadn't even played in the last three or four games so all of a sudden Boy Dowler gets hurt then Max goes in and did it become a hero that day he had the game of his life but we were out on the football field getting ready for the huddle and Willie Wood was I mean Elijah Pitts was our captain on the kickoffs I think Elijah scored the first or second Super Bowl game touchdown. And we were out there, and, and he looks around. He says, look around here. Look at these thousands of people watching us right here. He said, you know, there are millions and millions of people are watching us on television right now. It, it is amazing. He said, you know what they're wondering? He said, they're wondering what we're talking about. <laughs> he said, let's go out and make history. And we did. So that's the way life was. I love it. We need to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Super Bowl, Super Bowl I, uh, with our guest, Dave Hathcock. You're listening to History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, will be right back after this brief commercial break. Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my granddad, Bobby Parks, and my great-granddad, Julian Mays, in 1958. We've been family-owned the whole time, and being family-owned, locally-owned, means you get to get your next vehicle or your existing vehicle serviced by the same people who stand in the grocery line with you, drop their kids off at the same school you do, and smile and are happy to see you when they do. So come see us at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, on 919 Nashville Highway or ParksMotorSales.com. I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. We have advertised with WKRM and WKOM for the past several years and found it to be very successful. I highly recommend advertising with them if you have a local business like ours. We're located at 1608 Hatcher Lane here in Columbia. We're open Monday through Friday from 8 to 6 and Saturdays from 8 to 2. Stop by Holland's for all your prescription needs where we have fast, friendly, courteous service. We custom fit support hosts for you also. Thanks for supporting Holland's and WKRM and WKOM. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. A while back, I told you a story about Packer, our mascot, that Don found in the garbage truck after someone had thrown her out. Well, since then, I've been asked several times about Packer. Is she a dog or is she a cat? I guess I never thought to say, but she's a pit bull mix. And you can see a picture of her sitting in the driver's seat of Don's service truck on our website, garbagemaninc.com. 
For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. At this moment, bands are massed down to our left. The Coliseum floor is green. To our right, the yellow end zone with Chiefs spelled out in red letters and the American Football League emblem. To our left, in green letters, spell out Packers with the NFL familiar sheet. And in a few moments, I'm sure that we will have our national anthem. And George Rademan, there's been a lot of talk, there's been a lot written about this AFL-NFL championship, but if I ask you what thoughts are fleeting through your mind at this moment as a former great throw quarterback yourself, what would you say? Well, I'm, I'm sort of sympathizing, I think, at this time with those 80 fellows who are down there in their locker rooms who have not come out on the, the field yet. It's indescribable, the feelings that a, not just a professional football player, but any athlete has before a great contest such as this. They know that millions of people will be watching them, will be listening to the radio account of this game, thousands of people here in the stands, and it's just indescribable, that nervous tension that builds up. The game means so much to both of these teams. And frankly, it's not the money. Now, there's a difference of $7,500 between the winning and losing shares today. The winning team will receive $15,000. Each player on the losing team will receive $7,500. And many people think, well, this is sufficient to make the difference right there. Certainly, this does mean something to these people, but actually, it's much more than that. There's tremendous pride, as we mentioned before. It's not just two football teams. This is the entire National Football League against the entire American. Football League today, a game that people have been looking forward to for seven years. And don't think that those 80 fellows, 40 on each team, don't feel this right now in their locker rooms. That was some audio for Super Bowl number one. Our guest today, Dave Hathcock, was there. He was one of those 80 players in the locker room thinking about what all of this meant. Uh, Mr. Hathcock, did that bring back some memories hearing that? It certainly did. <laughs> it certainly did. And it was exhilarating. But at the same time, it was just like a little another game to us. Uh, then all of a sudden, you start thinking about it, how important it was. Uh, because you were representing a whole league, NFL one league and the AFL another league. And whoever wins this gets the, the choice of saying, I'm the best. Right. And, you know, when I was a young kid, I wanted to be the world best athlete in the whole world. I wanted to. I, I, my, one of my heroes was Jim Thorpe, and he won the Olympics in the decathlon and won the Olympics in the pentathlon, and he also he was the first uh, NFL uh, commissioner of the president of the NFL, I think. So I wanted to be like Jim Thorpe because he was my hero, and Jim Brown, a uh, football player at Cleveland, was my a hero to Jimmy Brown. Uh, I wanted to be like them. And to get the, the title of world champion, you know, but I didn't get a chance to go to the Olympics and be a, a world champion in the Olympics, but I did get a chance to go to the, the world champion in football. So that was quite an honor to be the world of anything. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
Uh, so. It's incredible. It's it's such a great story. Interesting facts. Tickets to Super Bowl one were priced at twelve, ten, and six dollars. Compared to last year, the average price for a Super Bowl ticket, you have a guess? I have some experience on that. <laughs> okay. $10,000 was the average ticket to go to the last year's last year's Super Bowl. Super Bowl one was the only one that was not sold out, the only Super Bowl not sold out. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was the only Super Bowl broadcast on two networks simultaneously, CBS and NBC. The cost of a 30-second commercial, <clears throat> excuse me, in Super Bowl one, thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars compared to an estimate for this coming Super Bowl, seven million dollars for twenty twenty-three. That's two hundred thirty-three thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars a second. Uh, two different types of footballs were used in Super Bowl one because the AF, uh, the AFL, mm-hmm. and the NFL used two different kinds of balls. The NFL a little bit fatter football. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Um, incredible. Well, I bought a ticket for my wife. She wasn't my wife at that time, and I also brought a ticket for my brother. So would you believe that ticket was $10 a piece? $10 a piece. And they were on the 50-yard line about four or five yards from the players. And it was it was amazing. But that, that you only had – it was a 100,000 stadium, but only about 60 – 65,000 showed up. This is Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, Super Bowl One. Uh, they estimated about 60 million people saw it worldwide, which was surprised to me. That's a large number, uh, or at least uh, saw it or heard it. That was broadcast on the radio, which mm-hmm. in, uh, 50 years ago was a, still a, a very big deal. Most sports pundits at the time believed that Green Bay was going to win it easily. It wasn't an easy game, at least not in the first half. Well, we thought we were going to win easily. <laughs> but, but at halftime, that didn't say that. <laughs> now, you said something interesting when we were off air is that Vince Lombardi was a calm gentleman, but not at halftime in Super Bowl One. He was a little different. What was going on? This was the only time at the Super Bowl. The score was 14 to 10. And at halftime, he, he never said very much. He never said anything loud or anything. And he always said, go out and do your best and, and do your fundamentals, and you would come out a winner. But this at this particular game, because we were behind, he said he started screaming and yelling at us. We had no business representing the NFL because we weren't prepared to, to play. And he said, that's probably my mistake in not preparing you properly for this game. And so he, he just went through that process, and he started screaming and yelling at us. And then after the halftime was over, we went out and just killed them. <laughs> so the halftime score was 14, 14 to, to 10. 14 to 10. And the final score? 35 to 10. 35 to 10. So you, 35 came, 10. you came out playing. Uh-huh. Did you get much game time? No. I Well, I always started, of course, because I was on the special teams. Right. <laughs> but I I only got to play in, in um, two games, about half the game. I played in the college all-star game against the College All-Stars. And then I played the uh, expansion team of Atlanta Falcons. I play, played half of that game. And that's the only two times I got to play at all. Now, I started on, on offense as far as kickoffs. Right. And on defense as kickoffs. And people always, did you start? I said, yeah, every time. <laughs> but as far as the, the thing about it is, it didn't make any difference who was playing at a position because we were all pretty much equal. Uh, you can see that I, I didn't get a chance to play except two games. And we, we had over 50 points for those two. It was 50, 
53 to 3, 56 to 3 or something like that, both those games. So uh, it didn't make any difference who was playing because of the system that we we played. And uh, but everyone on that team was talented. Everyone they would not be there if they weren't talented. And uh, I was lucky to be part of that organization. It really was. I, I think one of the luckiest men in, in history. Absolutely, it's an incredible way. To, what a way to start off a career. You got a ring for your yep, win. I have a ring. You got your fifteen thousand dollars. Yep. <laughs> and I used it wisely. I I bought a duplex. Oh. And then I had that duplex for. Um, 52 years, and then I I, I made uh, seven times more money than I, I sold it for. Perfect. Perfect. Than I bought it for. And you had a job off-season. During the off-season, I tried to teach school. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, the principal at the school I graduated from came to me and said, would you be willing to uh, teach during this, the off-season? So I was teaching at my high school that I graduated from and also had done my student teaching. And so I taught at Kingsbury High School um, during the off-season. And then the next year, uh, during the off-season, I taught at Treadwell High School in Memphis. And then uh, I was making only $400 teaching school that, that year. And I had just made 15000 for the Super Bowl. That was a big difference in, in yes amount of money you can spend. <laughs> right, right. So it was fun. We had a good time. You spent one year with Green Bay. And then you went to the Giants. Well, I got traded to New York, and I, I we went to the I went to the New York is a thousand miles, eleven hundred miles travel across. I had to drive my car, and I go to New York. I get there on Wednesday night. We pl- leave Friday to go to St. Louis play the Cardinals, and uh, we beat the Cardinals. And Coach Sherman says, "Well, we have won as many games this year as we did all of last year." <laughs> I said, you mean to tell me we you only won one game last year? I said, no wonder you made trades. They made a, a trade for uh, Fran Tarkenton, and they made a trade for me and also Vince Costello. And um, so we only went 7-7 seven and seven, uh, the two seasons I was there. <laughs> but then I, um, I hurt my knee in the Super Bowl about two minutes before the game was over with. Hmm. And then the knee started – getting ag- aggravated when I started taking kickoffs and punts back. And uh, we um, went through the process of two years, seven and seven, two years, and uh, I finally had my knee operated on. And I've had, uh, see, I've had three knee surgeries. One of them was a knee replacement. I've had um, a hip replacement, and I just had, had uh, another hip replacement in uh, June I had uh, six bypasses, and I had a heart attack and died. Good night. So I've had all those things, and I'm still kicking and still talking. We're proud. That's good. We're proud that you're here, and I'm, we're proud that you've been I on with us really today. I am really proud to be here. <laughs> I'm more proud than you are. <laughs> Mr. Hathcock, I'd love to have you back because I want to hear about the rest of your interesting life. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and we're going to have to close the show for today. But thank you so much for being I appreciate you having me here. Being on history. Thank so, you so much. We end the show with this quote from Hall of Fame coach Vince Lombardi. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. That's all for this episode of History's Hook. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue to connect the history in your backyard to the world with another edition of History's Hook. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of History's Hook with your host, Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. right here on WKOM 101.7 for a journey through time. This is Jim Ross, and you are listening to Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7, located in Columbia, Tennessee. First responders know seconds count when saving lives. An emergency response can often be delayed due to difficulty navigating rural locations, congested subdivisions, mobile home parks, and apartment complexes. The Locator 911 is a unique life-saving bulb. In normal use, a porch light. And when activated by you, a multicolored flashing beacon for first responders to help them find you in the event of an emergency. For more information, stop by your local fire department or visit thelocator911.com. Columbia Foodland is a locally owned and operated family grocery store with a full line of dry, dairy, frozen, meat, and produce items. We focus on keeping the freshest hand-cut meat and produce items daily with the most competitive prices in town. We offer weekly ad specials as well as in-store weekly specials throughout the store. Located at 427 West 7th Street in Columbia in the former Harris Foodland location. Columbia Foodland. We are here and ready to serve the wonderful people of Columbia and the surrounding areas. The crimson and white jerseys. Front court to the rack and the flood. The sound of a buzzer beater. Got it to go as the buzzer sounds. The roll tide chant from the crowd. Three. Got it. And he's fouled. It can only be Alabama basketball. Join the Alabama Crimson Tide right here. On your home for Alabama basketball. The Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield. This is Clayton Harris, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia. Every morning, I park my car across the street from my business, and I can't wait to get in there. That's pretty common for small business owners. We have the added satisfaction, however, of guiding hundreds of families with their retirement, education, savings, and general investments. We're a locally owned business that tries very hard to simplify a complicated world. This is Monty Sneed from Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Hello, my name is Connor Mims. My wife Bradley and I live in Columbia, Tennessee in Riverside. I'm a deck and porch builder and my wife is a second grade teacher at Riverside Elementary. My specialty is designing and building elegant and comfortable porches and decks. Let me work with you to design and build the porch or deck of your dreams. Give us a call today from our website, memsmodernlandscape.com. That's memsmodernlandscape.com and check out what we have to offer. Thanks. Do you want your business advertising to reach more listeners? Not sure how? At Front Porch Radio, we want you to reach more listeners than ever before. Let people know what you do and where to reach you. Right here on Front Porch Radio. It's fast, fun, and easy to get started growing your business today. Contact James Dickinson at 931-446-2028. That's 931-446-2028. Front Porch Radio. We can make your dreams come true. 
Do you use Elf Bars? Old School Vapor has over 100 authentic flavors for only $18.99 each. Check out their other January sales like buy one, get one free for select Tesco bars, 25% off glass pipes and Mike Tyson's Delta 8 Bites, or 50% off smell-proof bags. Go shop Old School Vapor's selection of over 200 cannabis products from brands like Looper, Torch, Hidden Hills, and more. Check them out on Instagram or Google Old School Vapor to find your nearest location. That's Old School Vapor. This is Trip Stoltz with Columbia Ace Hardware. I love listening to 101.7 WKOM-FM, Columbia, Tennessee. 